just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome to the next episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. If you've been listening, you obviously know that I'm Kenyatta and my co-host, as you should also know, is Jack. How are you doing this evening, Jack? I'm doing as well as I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want to bore the people with what's going on, but I'm doing as well as I can. And Let's just... You? I'm good. And let's just say for everybody listening, send your well wishes. It's much appreciated. Yes, so. <laughs> it definitely uh, I'm, is. I'm doing well myself. So things are as usual. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, busy day. Just living our lives, living yep. our lives. That's all we can possibly do until, of course, one of us wins the lottery. So <laughs> that's right. That would be glorious. That would be glorious. Yeah, very few would know would know me after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, I kind of have a lot to go over. Do mm-hmm. we want to quickly get to our WTF moment? Um, yes, we can do that. What is yours this week? <laughs> oh wow, you had to ask me that, and it was something I knew thirty seconds ago, and now I have completely forgot. But <laughs> Uh, well, it's sort of about Representative Matt Gates, Mr. You know, Trump is the greatest. All these people are horrible. I like to date 17 year olds and fly them across state lines. He's such a delightful man. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely is. He, um, his ex girlfriend, the 17 year old, has testified to a grand jury about their relationship. And so, I, at what point does House leadership decide maybe you should resign? It's getting redundant talking about members of the House that have committed some sort of crime still being allowed in the House without any really repercussions. Imagine that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. And my boy Higgins just barreled through the door. Apparently, he's a velociraptor and learned how to use a doorknob. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and he's doorknob height. So, hey, buddy. Sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> um, I will say something funny, though, regarding him. On the 5th of January, he tweeted, Matt Gates, remote learning isn't working. And somebody replied to him. Your girlfriend struggling in ninth grade? Bam! <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to be in the House and House of Representatives and date 17-year-olds, you can't be too mad when people make comments like that. Mm. No. So, I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's found a way to be outraged to, to some degree. But, yeah, I'm he sure. has no room. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's something that he's pissed off about currently. Anyway, I know that wasn't much of one, but what's your WTF for the week? Well, and that was actually pretty good. So <laughs> we're not going to minimize that. But the one I have this week is about your bestie, Tucker Carlson. Oh, the lovely Tucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, he, on one of the most recent episodes of his quote unquote show, decided to state that uh, white people are being discriminated against when it comes to treatment of those inflicted with COVID. Um, I'm not responding. I was just letting that soak in. Mm-hmm. Still um, soaking in. Mm-hmm. Still soaking in. Mm-hmm. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, and more no more no um i think i think 
Tucker is currently living in the multiverse of Marvel. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he seems to be in a different world than we're in. Correct. Here's wow. the thing. Just to elaborate a little, quote, whites would go last in the COVID vaccine queue regardless of need. What apparently he chooses not to take under consideration is that hardest hit in this pandemic have been people of color due to mostly socioeconomic uh, causes. So he doesn't take that into consideration when considering the fact that a lot of people that have had it been treated have been colored people of color, but they're not being necessarily made a priority unless their symptoms make them so. So he chooses right. not to recognize that part. And, you know, a lot of it is because a lot of uh, minorities and ethnic people are working in service injury jobs, mm -hmm. industry, sorry. And so their interactions with the general public is greater than perhaps somebody in an office environment. And I mean, don't get me wrong, a large, large portion of white people are getting COVID, but that's by their own choice because they refuse to wear masks and get vaccinated. Bingo. So that's why they're infected and they're infecting everyone else. Mm -hmm. Buttholes. Yeah. I, I don't, I could go further into details, but I don't want to give him any more energy than necessary. I just, I felt like he's again, COVID by itself, as we all should know by now, those of us who believe in, you know, science, we know mm -hmm. it's dangerous. Yeah. It's equally as dangerous as misinformation. And this man has a prominent position with the ears of millions and continues to say this hot garbage on the air. I know. And none of the people listening ever actually take the time to go and check legitimate sites on what he's communicating to them yeah because they've been trained to believe that legitimate sites are full of shit and fake and not real so can't believe them when in fact it's the opposite yeah never mind that nine cents nine scientists have the same yeah. consensus about this virus and what it takes as as information as new information becomes available literally every second of every day yeah Never mind that nine scientists and doctors are saying this is what you need to do. It's the tenth one. Well, yeah. That's the squeaky wheel, and he's the one that gets all the attention. Well, it's like so, the you know, back in the day they'd have commercials and they'd say four out of five dentists agree that you should floss. Mm -hmm. Well, who wants to go to the fifth dentist? <laughs> right? Four out of five dentists agree you should brush your teeth. Well, who's that fifth one so I can avoid him? Basically. I don't, I don't want him. He's not my kind of quote unquote professional. I don't want him in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, let's listen to the doctor that believes ovarian cysts are caused by demons visiting you at night while you're asleep. You know, that's a hot no. <laughs> Cause she's going to know all she's just so trustworthy. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I digress. No, it's does. There was, I can't believe that. Most of us that are rational thinkers and, you know, grown people have been wading through this cesspool of hot lies for what, since literally since 2015, like a, a pile of hot garbage of one variety of another. It's just not stop. Oh, I know. I, I saw somebody that uh, said this the other day. Um, they were talking about during the campaign in 2016 when Trump said, I could walk up to somebody on Fifth Avenue and shoot him in it. Nobody would care. Wouldn't affect my crowds at all. And the, the commentator said, he's right. In fact, he could kill 500,000 people due to his actions and nobody seems to care. Like, damn. Not, not as much as they should. Yeah. Not until it happens to them. And then we get to read about it on the news and be like, that's a shame, but uh, you had choices. Yep. So. Yep. And then they want me to contribute to their GoFundMe. <laughs> nope. Not going to happen. Mm -hmm. so. No wonder that 
uh, a lot of us are just a little bit crazy nowadays. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining that uh, antidepressants are probably doing real well right now. That and online therapy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yep. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. Well, um, moving on to our main yes. subject of this episode. Mm-hmm. Jack is going to talk to us about the John Birch Society, which I don't know that I ever heard of before. But when he first mentioned it to me, I did look around a little and I was um, amused, to say the least. But of course, Jack is going to feel us in a lot more greater detail. So the floor is yours, sir. Well, thank you. The John Birch Society started in the late uh, 1940s, 19, early 1950s. Uh, it was begun by a man named Robert Welsh, and he named it after a man named John Birch, who was a missionary in China who died fighting uh, the Chinese communists. And Robert Welsh considered him the first American to die in the war against communism. And when he started, he had an incredible array of extremely wealthy people at the time, Uh, the most notable being the father of the Koch brothers, which I'm sure most people have heard of. Mm -hmm. And their main thing at the time was fighting communism. They hated communists. They thought that Dwight D. Eisenhower was a communist and he had to be stopped. Robert Welsh also hated Justice Earl Warren, and he made it his life mission to get him impeached. So why is this society important? The modern Republican Party, including Trump, Ted Cruz, all get their talking points from the John Birch Society. It's basically updated a little bit. They've switched from communist to socialist slash globalist slash liberal elite. But all they did was change the name. They're also very anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And well, let me let me start off by reading this quote from a speech that Robert Welch gave in May 1949. And tell me you can't imagine, you know, McCarthy Ted Cruz, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying the following uh, statement. Here we go. It was no secret that there was a war going on in the United States between collectivism and individualism. In the field of commerce and industry, the battle is between free enterprise and state socialism. In politics, it is between the people's ownership of the government or the government's ownership of the people. In sociology, it is between self-reliance and dependence on the welfare state. In international relations, it is between a brutal aggressive tyranny and the remains of an independent civilization. Mm. We Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, where is the originality here? I just... Mm. They, it's the yeah, same, it's the same way I feel about remakes of classic movies. Why? <laughs> it it's the same thought and sentiments. Just a few of the words have changed and become more modern. Yes, it's the dog whistle, but in a different key. Yeah, yeah. Here's a uh, um, another statement of his. He described the battle between liberal and conservatives as a war that would determine whether we are going to leave our children and our grandchildren a world at least as good as the one we inherited or one that has already plunged into the incipient shambles of a new dark age. Incipient. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Can you, I mean, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, can you imagine them saying that? Yeah, you can. (laughs) You can. And, Now that we have, you know, 
the 24-hour news cycle. You can literally pull that up on video anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Those are turned into memes in about 17 minutes once they aired. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Good gravy. So these are a couple of other things that Welsh came up with. Um, he was the one that came up with the talking points that all Democrats are socialist and that conservatives need to be at war with them to use terminology like they're evil, godless, you know, one step away from brutal murderers <laughs> and stuff like that. He also came up with the idea that the way to combat and stop them is for conservatives to take over um, school boards and PTAs, city councils, county councils, county boards, basically like lower levels of government, as opposed to immediately jumping into federal house of representative or Senate, because he felt the biggest changes can be made at the lower level, which has sort of turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. And that sounds just like that uh, that story I sent you about the goings-on there in Enid, Oklahoma. Yep. Yep. He would have loved that. Yeah. That's exactly what he wanted to. They're using a playbook from the 1950s that has yep. not changed. It- and, and for our audience, um, the the story we're talking about was actually in a recent um, issue of, I think, the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, where there's a little power play going on in the, the town of Enid, Oklahoma. If you get the chance, um, and you can, go ahead to the New York Times website and, and do a search on Enid, Oklahoma. It's a very interesting article, and it, it highlights exactly what Jack is talking about. It it does. and. Now that I've sort of told you just a little bit, when you read it, you'll definitely see uh, see it. So mm-hmm. in today's world, there are a couple of sort of talk, radio sort of commentators that grew up in the John Birch Society. Those are Alex Jones and Glenn Beck. Both of their parents were members. Now, Alex Jones admits to reading all of the literature and the books and everything growing up. Glenn Beck doesn't really ever mention it, but it's there. And the thing to remember is in the 50s and 60s, or at least until the midpoint of the 60s, the John Birch Society was considered fringe. Mm. They were extreme for conservatives at the time. (laughs) And even though I don't believe they were members, but Jerry Falwell Sr. and uh, the leaders of the moral majority back in the 70s, they were at least in communication with the leadership of the John Birch Society that sort of helped them formulate some of their plans and strategies um, Mm -hmm. that came out. So... (laughs) I haven't even gone all the way and you can see their tendrils have just dug in and grown. They're kind of like Hydra in the Marvel cinematic universe. Absolutely. Yeah. And a couple of members back in the day were John, the Duke Wayne, i.e. Marion Morrison. Uh, Like I said, Fred Koch, father of the Koch brothers and a woman named Phyllis Shafley. If you don't know who she is, Google her. Whoa. <laughs> that, that's a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And uh, perhaps the most famous full hardcore member was Pat Buchanan. He was on uh, Reagan's staff. He ran for president, I think, in 88. And then again in 2000. And here in a minute, I'm going to go into a little bit more about a a couple things that Buchanan said. But Pat Buchanan, major anti-Semite, was not a fan of immigrants. And we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I'll read this quote. 
Now, a couple other politicians that were not members of the John Birch Society, but were kind of John Birch Society adjacent, and they certainly used them to their advantage, were Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan. Um, Ronald Reagan, it was more of his 1980 presidential run, not really when he was governor of California. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, that was something that come, came later. For I think he realized it could help him get elected, and he also uh, used the moral majority, which mm-hmm. once again tied to the John Birch Society. Clearly, uh, quite a few things are related to the John Birch Society. Yeah, and sort of as I said earlier, where the John Birch Society used to say communist or Jew. They now say globalist or Hollywood or liberal elite, but make no mistakes about it. Generally speaking, they mean Jew at this point. When you hear Alex Jones talking about the globalist, he's talking about Jewish people 100%, but he knows you can't say Jewish people, so he says globalist. And those who know, no. Yes. <laughs> Here is a Pat Buchanan quote, where liberals see as an ever more splendid diversity of colors, creeds, ethnicities, uh, ideologies, beliefs, and lifestyles, the right sees the disintegration of a country, a nation, a people, and its replacement with a Tower of Babel, visions in conflict that Democracy cannot reconcile. Mm-hmm. Is that not basically the belief of the, the modern Republican conservative party? With um, some frosting and a cherry on top. Yes. You and on. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, she's my fave. Yes. It's just, it's, it's hard to get a grip on, though, of... Just how something that was that extreme in the 50s is like the party belief structure of the current Republican Party. And the funny thing is, former President Donald Trump used to hate Pat Buchanan. And in 2000, when Buchanan was running, Trump called uh, Pat Buchanan a Hitler lover and an anti-Semite who doesn't like the blacks. So the funny thing is when he later on, sorry, um, Donald Trump then quoted Pat Buchanan because now he suddenly likes him. And I quote, America's Southern border is eventually going to be militarized and defended or the United States as we have known it is going to cease to exist. Trump wrote, the great people of our country demand proper border security now. Of course, we all know (laughs) that Trump is Mm anti-immigrant. He's anti. I actually think Trump hates everybody who's not a Trump. I don't even think he likes the Trumps very well. (laughs) (laughs) It's just to what degree he doesn't like you. People with brown skin are who he hates the most. Mm-hmm. But Pat Buchanan encouraged Trump to continue with his American First campaign. And I have no evidence if Buchanan was any sort of an advisor to Trump, but there's certainly enough um, stuff that Pat Buchanan has put out. You know, he's written books and stuff like that. So that it's easily, you know, findable if you want to find anything that. Pat Buchanan has, you know, said his philosophy, stuff like that, which, of course, is all John Birch Society talking points and thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's amazing how, how hydra-like the John Birch Society is. And I can't believe I'm comparing a real-life thing to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Hydra is the closest thing I could think of. (laughs) Like life art. Now, if we could just get Captain America in an elevator with 10 of them, 
and watch that ass whooping go down. I'll be there for it. I'll buy tickets. Yeah. I'm, there, I'm there for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, Steve Rogers. You do it all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to read a, a couple, couple of uh, things from an article on Politico, Politico that was by John Savage. And it published July 16th, 2017. And he's talking about the John Birch Society. And to correct myself from earlier, uh, the John Birch Society was actually formed on a Monday morning, December 1958. But Robert Welsh obviously was planning this beforehand because mm-hmm. you heard from his speech in 49. Mm-hmm. And it had 11 of the nation's richest businessmen. Oh, I'm going to throw this in there. Robert Welsh is the inventor of the sugar daddy candy. I'm glad I never liked those. (laughs) It's funny that a guy that hated socialism named a candy sugar daddy, which in a way is socialism. Socialism. It's the most individual form of socialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you think about modern usage He's of that. He's rolling in his grave right, like, right now. Like, what have I wrought? What, what, what have I, I done? done? <laughs> Ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, so just hit me. <laughs> he believed that they needed to... Take it to legislative chambers, houses of worship, to get as many of sort of the common person. Like I said, he wanted to do a bottom up, start at the local level, first take over PTAs, then school districts. You know, if you're not on the school board, go to school board meetings. Everybody take your two minutes to talk just to drag out the meeting so that school board members won't want to run again so Mm -hmm. that John Birch society members can run and take over the school board Mm -hmm. to get conservatism ideologies in. Sorry, folks, I can't talk tonight. I mean, that's a hard word though. So (laughs) that's understandable. It's been a long day. Yeah. And um, one of the people that was interviewed in this article, it's a long article, uh, do a Google search for it if you want to read the whole thing. It kind of gives history of the John Birch Society, but it talks about where it's being put in play in a small Texas town. And um, one of the people he talks to in interviews is a man named Chip Burlett, who's a former senior analyst at the Political Research Associate in Somerville, Massachusetts. And I'm going to be clear here. This is what it states. A left-leaning think tank. So I just want to get that out there because I know some people in this world will complain if I don't. And he's the co-author of a book called Right-wing populism in America, too close for comfort. And one of the areas he is subject is the studied is the John Birch Society for three decades. And he told the author of the article that the resurgence of the John Birch Society taps into populism, which surfaces periodically, especially during times of cultural and demographic upheaval. The nation's demographic landscape has undergone dramatic shifts since the Birchers' heyday. From 55 to 2014, the percentage of U.S. citizens who identified as Protestant sunk from 70% to 46%, according to polls by Gallup. And the percentage of citizens who identified as non-Hispanic white decreased from 89% to 63%, according to the Pew Research Center. Such changes mixed with man's Evolutionary tendency towards tribalism means that many white Christians Americans, Christian Americans are full of anxiety. And the John Birch Society views white Anglo-Saxon Protestant as the true expression of America. And they use constitutionalist arguments 
and conspiracist scapegoating to mask this. I mean, if that doesn't describe the current QAnon Trump supporter movement, I don't know what does. Jack, did y'all know know y'all are going to be extinct in America in a minute? (sighs) You know, it's going to happen, I guess. Oh, Lord. If if history has, and I guess this is, I guess this is an example of where people are really learning from history. Like this same narrative, like we've been saying in place over and over and over again, stoke people's fears and anxiety, and you can get them mm-hmm. to believe whatever you need them to. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is for a group of people that don't like to recycle. They sure are recycling these viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it ties into other things, replacement theory, you know, they're coming for our job, us versus them. But this sort of ties it all together and had the John Birch Society not had the power that it had, the QAnon movement might not have spread the way it has. Mm-hmm. And Unknowingly, a lot of the, no offense to boomers, a large portion of QAnon are boomers. So they don't even realize that for, you know, 70 years, they have heard some John Birch hardcore, you know, beliefs and thoughts and had no idea that in the 70s, when the moral majority started, sort of its, you know, ties. Mm -hmm. And that just, leads us to where we are now it is is amazing dark road i've often said that it's a waste when you have people that are clearly intelligent and they choose to waste that on things like this because Mm -hmm. they're usually because they're in pursuit of power and control Mm -hmm. but like i said I, i just the intricacies, yeah, I hope I said that right, that they go through to build these these foundations and these followers. And that's that's what they are. They're followers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it blows my mind. I'm like, imagine what they could have done had they had been selfless or more concerned about the greater good. Mm-hmm. It's just. Yeah, it's it's almost the opposite of the Overton window. Do you know what that is? The expression, the Overton window? I do not. So the Overton window is, uh, I'll use numbers just because it's easier. Say -hmm. you're part of a group and you want something to change over to 50, but you understand that the rest of society won't go from a five to a 50. So what you do is you start out at saying, we want 30. And then everybody else is like, oh, no, no, no. But they compromise to 10. And then they wait a bit because then everybody accepts 10. And then they say, we want 35. Then they compromise, goes to 15, so on, so on. So over a 50-year period, you do get the shift to the 50. Although what happens is then you extend that to 100. And that's called an Overton window scenario. Hmm. But the John Birch Society is almost a reverse John or Overton window. <laughs> you know, they want to take you from 50 to negative 50. And they have been kind of correct that the way to do it is from the bottom and convincing a large part of the population that education is bad, that Teachers are part of a liberal elite that want to brainwash your children. Mm-hmm. That is a John Birch idea. Mm-hmm. And listen to any conservative person. Give them three weeks and you will hear talking about how, you know, colleges and universities and high schools are trying to brainwash your children to these hardcore leftist ideas. Uh, we've, we've discussed it before. Critical race theory. Mm-hmm. That that they consider that brainwashing of your kids to a leftist viewpoint. Never this mind is where that comes that, from. Yeah, and never mind that if you look at it, you know, you take the rose-colored glasses off and you look at it in its real raw state. The way that Q 
kids have been taught about history, especially American history, is already brainwashing because yeah. it's been presented the way that, like you said, the moral majority wants it seen. Mm-hmm. You know, where you still to this day, you still have textbooks floating around, you know, certain parts of Texas saying basically slavery was a good thing and black folks, you know, they were taken care of real good. You know, it stuff like that. We're in yeah. 2022 and you're still peddling that. Yeah. It's and this is the root of that. <laughs> yeah. And there's obviously more that we can go into. It was almost so much that I got overwhelmed trying to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to do like a bare bones sort of representation of it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that if you're interested in, it's definitely worth Googling. There is all sorts of information about it. And since the rise of Trump in 2016, a lot of articles have been written about the John Birch Society. And once you know about it, it's just like, oh, my God, you can't not see it in the modern Republican Party. Mm. And to have gone from fringe to mainstream is everything that Robert Welsh would have loved. Mm -hmm. The irony is what I know about the actual John Birch would have hated everything that the John Birch Society stands for. He wouldn't have been a fan. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm -mm. Then, Yeah, that is ironic. I, I guess I guess maybe he would have. I'm just guessing. I don't necessarily want to be in that mindset to think what someone like him might guess, but maybe he thinks the end result might be worth it. Or maybe he just trying to figure out a way to mitigate that whole sugar daddy's thing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Um, Robert Welsh obviously had some interesting viewpoints. I mean, if you think Dwight D. Eisenhower was a communist and a spy of the Soviet Union, that's crazy. It absolutely is crazy. <laughs> I'm not saying there weren't communist uh, sympathizers in the late 40s and the 50s. I just don't him. believe Dwight D. Eisenhower was one of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think so either. <laughs> and... I'm sure it was news to Dwight D. Eisenhower that he was a communist. <laughs> like, did you wait, ever? <laughs> did you ever watch? Um, it was a Prime Video series based on the graphic novel "The Boys." Oh yeah, yeah. So you'd watched it, right? Oh yeah. You talking so, season two? Yes. So you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, with the uh, the new female superhero. Stormfront. Yes, thank you. And yeah. she says something to the effect of, you know, you don't need 50 million people cheering for you. You only need 5 million mm-hmm. screaming at you or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And I get what she was getting at was something like what you're saying. You only need so many people to back you and to, to give you the attention that you're looking for. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. If you have the right kind of attention, you can get what you want done. Mm-hmm. Even if it seems like it's a, a minority, like they've always said, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So, yep, it's the right people mm-hmm. that you need. Yep, you know, you have to be people that have already felt like in their life that you know maybe someone did take their job, or or maybe more. <laughs> Ironically enough, when it happens, it's generally factories going to other countries, not people coming here, (laughs) right? Or, you know, manual labor giving way to uh, automation, yeah, technology. Yeah, and um, it's like they're putting that on someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, That's actually something that happens with dogs. You can have two dogs that are great friends. And if another dog comes up to them and snaps at one of them and that dog can't get to the dog that snapped, they'll snap on like their best friend dog. Hmm. Uh, redirected aggression is what yes. they call that. Yes. That makes sense. Yep. That's a really good analogy. Yep. 
And someone's got to be blamed for this. Yeah. And the John Birch Society takes full advantage of that. And apparently was far more successful at it than people realized. Oh, yeah. I guess people need to, liberal elites really need to go and take over school uh, boards. (laughs) But, yeah, I can't imagine being on a school board right now when you have people that go to meetings, threaten them, follow them to their cars, follow them home threaten their families, like in that article to the point to where a city council member who loved that town is moving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because, you know, to get elected city council, a certain amount of people do have to like you. But it's just, it's wild, you know, referencing the events in that article, how that man moves there specifically because he wanted a quiet life and a safe place to raise his family. Mm-hmm. And in a matter of months, literally has been driven mm-hmm. out of that town practically. Yeah. And that viewpoint has led to almost weaponized anger, mm-hmm. which of course then leads to say a January 6th type situation. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. But we're seeing that at all levels. I can't imagine being so ticked off at somebody on a school board that I'm going to follow them, scream at them, hit on their cars as they're leaving the school board meeting, Mm -hmm. sending voicemails and emails. It's, it's crazy. Threatening their lives and threatening their families. Yeah. Yeah. Because deep down inside, you're afraid. Mm-hmm. And you have nowhere to put it, but on someone else. Yeah. I really feel like sort of doing this research that the anger people have over mass mandates mm-hmm. is also in a sense that redirected aggression. Mm-hmm. They're not really mad at the mass mandates per se. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're taking their angry viewpoint out on, but it represents Everything else that the fire that's been stoked in them for the last 20 years. Exactly. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and it's finally found a place to land and it's found co-signers. Mm-hmm. So the more people that you get to agree with you, the more empowered you are, the more convinced that your point of view is the correct one. Yeah. And it's something that strangely people in power have embraced is the whole anti-mass mandate and all of that so, really when you in my opinion about it now you say it like that it almost seems like those in power were just piggybacking off of whatever you know these ordinary everyday citizens were concerned about not that they necessarily believed it themselves but they found you know a crack in the shield where they could wiggle in and say hey we believe you and we want to help you mm-hmm. you know protect your rights or whatever you know the case may be Yeah, I agree with you. I would say probably, I don't know, 50% of the Republican Party knows that it's bullcrap and they're not believing the shit that they're spewing. Mm -hmm. And another 30 didn't believe it at first, but they've brainwashed themselves. And that remaining 20 are people that have since been elected, but were from the average Joe that believed it. But then they were mad enough to run for office, get elected. So now there are people in power (laughs) that believe it. But it doesn't matter if the first 50 that don't believe it, because now they can't come out and say what their real thoughts are, Mm -hmm. because it'll destroy them. And Mm -hmm. they love their power. Yeah. So yeah, that's the state of the modern Republican Party. I hope I made some sort of sense (laughs) tonight. No, you absolutely did. That was unnerving but educational mm-hmm. yeah so yes and and it kind of when you just said that last piece you said there kind of remind me of my favorite good old mtg mm-hmm. and you know her batshit loony that she spouts you know every other week or mm-hmm. every week now i'm not sure but you know was she one of those ones that believed that and she found enough people to back her up and put her in office or did she say just enough 
to catch some fish. And then when she got in there, started ramping it up so she could keep her base satisfied and and hopefully guarantee her reelection when it comes up. It's just, again, I don't necessarily want to be in that nest of worms that passes Mm -hmm. for her brain, but it makes me wonder. (laughs) I think she's a true believer because she she's still in her first term and she ran after Trump. Mm -hmm. She became a Trumper and then ran. So I think she's a true believer. Mm, That's sad. Which probably makes her more dangerous. It does. Because like like I was saying earlier, I can almost commend somebody that has, you know, the long game in mind. I'm going to talk all this hogwash. I'm going to get me this many people in this many districts, and I'm a shoe in to get elected to state level or federal Mm -hmm. level. There's a, even though it's misguided, there's some a base, some kind of base of logic to it. But to truly believe that hogwash, yeah, that's that's scary. That's scarier. Yeah. It really is. And really their plan also works. Um, as you were talking, I just thought of this, probably because Martin Luther King Day is coming up and they're trying to pass these uh voting bills at the federal level. But how many Republicans at the state legislative level that have passed all of these anti-voting bills, I guess is the way to put them, in the last year. How many of those people are true believers, QAnon believers, jumper society believing, even though they probably don't know that's where that comes from, Mm -hmm. which has led to something Robert Welch would have wanted, and that is Black people not voting, because Mm -hmm. he was very much anti-Civil Rights Act Voting Rights Act, stuff like that. He was he was not a fan. And when you talk about and what I found out not too long ago was, you know, make America great again. That quote in its literal sense, Trump got that from, you know, someone else years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, what that meant, what that really meant, you're talking about, you know, again, the so-called quote unquote moral majority wanting to shift things back to a point in time before the Civil Rights Act and before the Voting Rights Act, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day where it was commonplace, especially in the Deep South, to violently threaten Black people for even wanting to go take a voting test because, mm-hmm. you know, those are the restrictions they had in place. They had to take a test on the Constitution yep. mm-hmm. and they had to pay a poll tax and et cetera, et cetera. And all those ways they made it difficult, even though there were laws in place already to allow Blacks to vote by that time, it was their duty to make sure if they could intimidate you or, quote unquote, outwit mm-hmm. you and keep you from getting to the polls and that what they do. And I, I honestly believe that's the kind of America that those people want to see again, where there yeah. was only a certain group in power and there's only a group that were making the rules mm-hmm. and you either got along with it or you hit the road. That's the only kind of America I believe they were looking for. Yeah. It's, it's like we talked about before. I think there are, are a percentage of the Trump voter who, when they hear make America think again, great again, think of the 1950s, which is their childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And people have a tendency to romanticize their teenage years. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you and I have a fondness for the 80s, or mm-hmm. I believe you do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and the 90s, because that's our teen years and when we came to adulthood, right? Mm-hmm. And so for a large portion of boomers, it's the 50s and early 60s. But as we've discussed before, the 50s are all fine and dandy if you're white. Mm-hmm. If you were black in the 1950s and 60s, you probably don't look back on that time frame with a lot of fondness. No. Not that you didn't, you know, have a great time with your family, love your family, yada, yada, yada. It's the part outside of that. Mm -hmm. There's not a fondness for it. And I completely understand. So to some people, when they hear Make America Great Again, they're thinking of the 50s. And the 50s were this great, amazing time, and we need to go back to it. To another group of people, that is a horrific thought. Mm-hmm. And the John Birch Society ideas completely tie in and play into that and take advantage of it. And while I do not think that 
Donald Trump is actually as smart as some people think he is, especially mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. I do think he's good at reading people and reading your crowd. And he knew how to take advantage of a certain segment of the population. And then it spread from there because all this anger at everything else just played into it and fed mm-hmm. it and spread it. Absolutely. Much like and, COVID. Oh, God. <laughs> this is the song that never ends. <laughs> right? Donald but, Trump, political COVID. Ew. But true. Ew. Anyway. <laughs> what's, what's that game? Either or, what if, or whatever. Would you, oh, would you rather? Would you rather? Would you rather spend an evening with Trump or catch COVID? And this is by no means minimizing the seriousness of COVID whatsoever, but Trump. Well, considering what I'm going to get the results for tomorrow, I'm going to go with COVID. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's, that's awful that that's, that's something you pause on nowadays. You're like, I don't know. Death by freezing or burning. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, by and the way. Just- I was going to say, we talked about it earlier, just, you know, have thoughts for us, whatever. I'm fully vaccinated. I've been boosted. I wear a mask, but I was in close proximity to somebody who got it from someone else who they were in close proximity with. And as of last night, today, I'm showing symptoms. I have been tested. We'll get my results tomorrow. We wish. So we'll see. Yep, and we wish him and his family the absolute best, which I have no doubt y'all will get through it. So I'm I'm hoping that the statistics statistics are correct and that being vaccinated and boosted makes it just like a really, really bad cold. Goodness so gracious. anyway, back to your point. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're that's perfectly fine. What I was gonna say was no, Trump is not as smart as he or anyone around him thinks he is. And to agree with you, he is good at reading people. He's good at reading the temperature of a room, but I think he's also clever. Mm-hmm. And of course, being, you know, the son of a millionaire and having millions at his disposals, which I don't think mm-hmm. it's nearly as much as it used to be, having all those things working in his favor, really, if he can't have that money, he'd just be another mediocre white guy. Mm-hmm. But he has all these things in his favor and all these people surrounding him just because of his name. And to me, all these things work to his advantage to get him where he eventually got. Mm-hmm. So yep. him being you know, not smart for him, that wasn't a, that wasn't a problem. Right. And I'm not saying it doesn't have like average IQ. Mm-hmm. He's clearly not like stupid mm-hmm. in terms of in that department. Mm hmm. It's just a lot of people attribute him to being like a Mensa member, <laughs> and he is not. No. <laughs> Nowhere close. Mm-mm. But most of us aren't close to being a Mensa member, so anyway. <laughs> I mean, most of us are just, you know, plain vanilla average, so and I'm fine with that. But I'm also, I'm also fine with not using people for my own you know, for my own ends, you know, like right. you know, he tried to use everybody around him and this entire country, et cetera, et cetera. I won't rehash the past. Y'all been through it too. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You're exactly right. We've all seen it. The end result is you love them or you hate them. I do mm-hmm. not think there's an in-between at this point. That's why I'd never, and just to, this is a segue. I, I apologize. No, That's what always baffled me about whenever I would, he was still in office and I go online searching for answers. Like these are the questions I need answers to why people. And I would read people, you know, everyday average John Q on the street. Well, why did you vote for him? Oh yeah. Cause I think he's going to help my stocks, but he's going to improve the economy. Like these, these so-called single issue voters. I don't care about you. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know why? Because you don't care about any of the rest of us. Clearly, you're worried about making money and you think that this guy for the second time around is going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. So you're not yeah. in, you're not interested on his views on immigration or climate change or mm-hmm. other people in general. Those yeah. things that concern the greater good that concern all of us. Those are the things that these single issue voters clearly were not concerned about. And I was just like, you Yeah. A lot of people also don't seem to understand that 
the economy and the way things move run it about two years behind political decisions. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If the law is passed in 2024, well, it doesn't go into effect usually till say 2025. And then it needs time to kick in and changes to happen. So usually at a minimum, it's two years. So this year, 2022, we're really just now starting to see the impact from decisions made in 2017, 2018. And stuff like that happens all the time. So many people were mad and blamed Obama when NASA ended the space shuttle program, right? Mm -hmm. Because it happened under his term. But that wasn't Obama. That was a George W. Bush decision Mm -hmm. because he wanted to go back to the moon. And to do that, they had to end the shuttle, which knowing what I know about the shuttle probably was the right decision to have been made. Mm -hmm. But so many conservatives were mad at Obama and blamed him for ending the shuttle program. And none of them bothered to look that that wasn't his fault. And they weren't willing to look, you know, to see mm-hmm. where that originated right. from. They wanted a reason to hate him that had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he's half black. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's his policies I don't like. Well, which which one of those specifically? Well, um, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that me personally that I agree with every decision that he made. There were some things that were done in his administration that that were that were bothered me, but. It would have been weird if you believed everything he did and loved everything he did. You shouldn't. Like as a person, I love the man. I love his family. As a politician, he's a politician. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I I I, I, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to (laughs) say, I did the Facebook version of as per my previous email. Mm. I had somebody that in particular would frequently post about the end of the shuttle. And I would always comment. As per my previous comment on your other (laughs) Facebook post about this, and then I would explain that it was George W. Bush. The funny thing is, there's almost a sequel to that, though, because um, Trump took credit for SpaceX being the first commercial space company to build a capsule and send people to the International Space Station. That happened because of policies that Obama put in place. (laughs) But like I said, there's a drag time. And that's what led to that. Obama believed in a private um, partnership with sending supplies and new crew to the space uh, station. It just so happened that due to delays and stuff like that, it happened to Trump and Trump took credit for it. And once again, I was like, hey, nope. This is the last guy. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I doubt that's going to end anytime soon. <laughs> it won't because there's, I mean, as long as human beings exist, there's always going to be those little black holes of people who thrive and nourish themselves off misinformation. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. As long as there are facts, there will be somebody nearby to distort them. And then there will be another person next to them ready to believe it. So I think that's just part and parcel of being human. Yeah, you're right. And just sort of one final thought on Robert Welsh. Even though, yeah, he died before the internet, had no idea that it was going to come. In some sense, he completely laid the groundwork for QAnon misinformation type stuff. And he didn't even know that it happened. (laughs) And the people that were with him on that were willing to take the long game. Mm. And he had no idea that's what he said, no, but he did. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he's in parts ecstatic and still somewhat dismayed. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I have no plans to try to explore the other dimensions. So I will probably never get to find out for sure. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we don't mess with Ouija boards. So we're not reaching out to the other side. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And depending on your viewpoint, he's either in heaven or a really warm place. Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> That's all you need to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, we've reached our hour plus that we tend to do. And just going to give a quick update. 
we're going to have an, a guest on coming up. His name is David. He has a podcast called The Graceful Atheist, and he is a proponent of something he calls secular grace, and we're going to talk to him all about that coming up here soon. And then we will have our special issues, special issues, <laughs> our special <laughs> podcast in February, tying into Black History Month. Yes. So... I'll go ahead and end how we do. My charity is Service Dog Project, provides service dogs for people with stability and mobility issues. And their website is servicedogproject.org. And Kenyatta, if you'll fill us in with yours. Uh, my charity of choice is the Black Women's Health Initiative. You can read more about them at bwhi.org, and they are dedicated to improving the health of Black women and girls in these here United States. Very noble. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yours I, too. I just had a thought as you said that. Is there an equivalent for uh, Black males? I don't know. And it was it's interesting that you say that. Because um, I was doing some, when we were talking about promoting these charities, I was doing some homework on, you know, which one spoke to me the loudest. And there was not a whole lot that specifically catered to Black men, which is concerning mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, unfortunately, minorities as a whole tend to be more detrimentally affected by uh, health issues than white folks. But at the same time, each one of those ethnic categories can vary. And Black mm -hmm. men, unfortunately, have, especially in recent years, have been victims to some of them manageable diseases in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Yeah, Black males have the highest rate of death uh, with people that get prostate cancer mm -hmm. because it's detected generally it's late stage three, stage four, mm -hmm. whereas with white people, it's generally detected stage one. Yeah. And that's one of those, that's one of those things really across the board is, in my opinion, what's necessary, not just access to good health care and good providers, mm -hmm. but also education on paying attention to what your body is telling you. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes it, I know it's difficult for especially with the history that Blacks have had in this country as far as their relationship or our relationship to the medical establishment, it's not always been trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. difficult to sometimes to convince, you know, some of us to go to the doctor. I, I can I can testify, you know, from my own history. You know, I've been hesitant to go when I know I needed to go because I'm like, I'm not sure I believe what they're going to tell me. But mm -hmm. luckily, you know, personally, I've I've encountered mostly very good and very understanding health providers. My family mm -hmm. has for the most part, but I know there's millions of us across the country who are hesitant to go mm -hmm. because they've had negative experiences yeah. and they don't believe, you know, what they might be telling. And they might have every right because unfortunately there's a stigma in place as far yeah. as how health professionals treat blacks and people of color, as far as, you know, their tolerance to pain whether mm -hmm. or not they're, you know, legitimately seeking help or if they're just drug addicts seeking, you know, painkillers, right. yeah. things of that nature. So it's a lot to combat. Yeah, for sure. Definitely mm -hmm. is. And um, real quick, I'm going to say one of the reasons I support the charity I do is I have a, a family member that is just, well, he, I don't, call him disabled, but he's in a wheelchair. And to train a service dog for somebody generally takes a minimum of a year, which when you factor in the hours of training and everything is several thousand dollars. And that doesn't include veterinary food. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever known somebody that has needed a service dog, it's life-changing to have mm -hmm. gone from not having one to having one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you joke about how People are mad that wearing a mask is taking away their freedom. Well, a service mm -hmm. dog legitimately gives someone freedom. Mm -hmm. And I want to see people be able to, you know, live as the best life they can. And a service dog enables that. Mm -hmm. So anyway. And just to tag on to that, we have a close family friend that's, you know, we've known for ever since I was, you know, a little kid in ankle socks. Mm -hmm. And she is 
I don't want to say hearing impaired, but she has extreme difficulty hearing, put that way. Mm-hmm. Um, she happens to be an educator. She's a wonderful lady. I, you know, for many years, I consider her my second mom. Mm-hmm. And she was probably the first person I knew that had a service dog. And it was a hearing ear dog. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't think that was a thing until, you know, she she finally got hers. And that dog was, he was a wonder to watch. Mm-hmm. The, the doorbell would ring, the telephone would ring. Anything like that, that she wouldn't be able to hear or respond to, he would come get her and then kind of, you know, nudge her in the direction of whatever it was. And that was amazing to watch. So I understand absolutely the need to have service dogs. It's, it's when I see them just out at random, it's a wonder to watch. They are, they're yeah. like little troopers. They're on point. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of training and actually a lot of them, well, not a lot, a good portion end up not making it because it takes a certain dog to excel at that right so there's still the cost of training up to that point where they realize it's the dog's not going to be able to do it so anyway that's my thoughts on that Mm -hmm. and if you want to go ahead and give our typical outro of social medias and whatnots i'm going to give that to you because i need a drink Um, thank you very much. And if you care to follow us and all the things that we're posting outside of our podcasts, you can find us on Facebook, um, under our podcast name, Kenya and Jack Save the World. You can also find us on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W. So Mm -hmm. follow us there, support us, and um, on whatever your preferred podcast platform is, like us, subscribe, follow us, comment if you like us, or even if you don't, um, and let (laughs) us know if you like us to to touch on anything in future episodes. Yes, please. Um, And we also have an email, uh, Mm. which I say that, now I forget it. I think it's kandjsavetheworld at (laughs) gmail.com. It is. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm running out of steam here. That's all right. <laughs> okay. Well, Kenyatta, Ivan, once again, enjoyed talking with you today, doing this podcast. It was the bright part of my day. Yay. I spent the rest of it feeling like shit. Yeah, I <laughs> but need, I, need, I always I need, love our talks. I do too, but I definitely need you to go ahead and rest and, and take fluids and all that good stuff. So thank you. Definitely. And we will be you. You need to Waiting take on care your recovery, too. huh? You need to take care too. I know. Gosh. <laughs> so, anyway, this is a bye for me. We'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone.